Um, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting a new series this morning, and we're going to be in John chapter 13. So we, uh, over the last few months, we've been talking about building our faith. This summer, what we're doing is we're going to take the the summer to lean into Jesus' conversation with his disciples in the upper room. So Jesus, right before he died, gathered the disciples. John writes about this in John 13 to 17, and he gathers them together, and he's going to go back to the Father. He's going to lay down his life for everybody, and, and before he does that, these are the things that he says and does with his disciples. And so this is so huge and vital in terms of getting a sense of, man, what does, what does Jesus, like, we're his followers. What does he want from us? What does he, like, how does he view us? How does he think about us? How does he see the church and the task of those that follow him? I am really excited to soak in these. What, what we're actually going to do here is, um, in the fall, we're going to be laying out um, mission and vision and kind of like some big picture stuff for like, well, how has God been leading um, the staff and the elders of the church as we've been praying and saying, okay, Lord, this has been a year of disruption. What do you want to see for Creekside in the future? And so as we have been praying through that, we're kind of refining a few things that we are going to really um, lay out in the fall, uh, invite all of us into together in the fall. And in the meantime, over the summer, what we want to do is um, sit here as a way of sort of tilling the soil of who Creekside is. Um, so so we, wanna, we want the, the vision, we want the life, we want our new ways of like, as we hit the fall, we're always just saying, hey, let's dive in and let's just go full speed towards this direction. We want all of that to grow out of the soil of what Jesus does with his disciples in John 13 to 17. There's so much that is beautiful and inspiring and really challenging in these chapters. And so we're going to soak it in. It's not going to be a ton of, okay, now go and do this. Now go and do that. It's going to be a lot of just sitting and absorbing and thinking and praying and just seeing what God will do as he tills the soil of our hearts, tills the soil of our church family. And I'm really excited. And it couldn't start better than it does um, uh, in John 13 with Jesus, with his disciples. So let's read the first few verses. And before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, and that's where I want to pause, okay? That's where I want to pause, because these first few verses, I know I'm leaving it mid-sentence, but these first few verses lend a backdrop and sort of a theological framework to everything that's going to come in the rest of the book of John. There's a few key things here that John is letting us know is, is this is going to shape and, and help us understand what's happening in these chapters, in these descriptions as Jesus is interacting with his disciples. And so a few things that I'm seeing here that are so important is, is this, man, Jesus is doing all of this, everything that he's going to do, he's doing it with the full knowledge that he came from God the Father and that he's going back to God the Father. He came from heaven, like he, Jesus is, we understand, God himself come to earth to be with us. And so everything that Jesus is going to say and everything he's going to do comes in the backdrop of here is Jesus knowing full well who he is, knowing the authority that he has been given to him. He's, he's given authority over everything. He come, came from God the Father. All of this is the backdrop to everything that Jesus will say and do. And it's huge. It's important. This is Jesus in his full knowledge of who he is. The other couple things I want to mention before about this framework is he does all this in love. 
You see it. I love the way that verse 1 ends. That he, having, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here is Jesus taking this love for his followers, those people that he's called, taking this love for them up until the very end. So right up until the fact that he's going to sit here and talk with them. He's going to teach them. He's going to instruct them. He's going to give them a pattern to follow. And then he's going to lay his life down in sacrifice to bring healing and forgiveness and salvation to his people. Right up to the very end of all that, Jesus is loving his people. So everything that we're going to see and encounter not only comes from Jesus' full knowledge of who he is, it comes from the love that he has for his people. Everything that we're going to see and read is an expression of Jesus' love. And then the third thing here, and I think this is huge, we're going to talk about it more next week, is Jesus did and said all of this with Judas at the table with him. This whole scene, these whole five chapters, is a table scene. And for the beginning of it, for the first parts that we're going to read here, Judas Iscariot is sitting at the table with him. And Judas, as we know, is like the worst, okay? Judas is awful. He is going to, he followed Jesus. He, he was one of his disciples. He was like one of the crew. And here we are just moments away from Judas selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's going to betray Jesus. And Jesus, as you can imagine, knows that this is coming. And yet still we see Jesus is going to say and do the things that he's going to say and do for Judas, with Judas there. It's a, it's a backdrop of betrayal. And ultimately, of course, Judas is here, right? But ultimately, every one of these disciples, every single person at this meal with Jesus is going to turn their backs and walk away and be ashamed or be frightened of being with Jesus before this whole thing ends. And so it's this backdrop of Jesus, man, full of knowledge of who he is, full of love for his people, and with this group of people that it's going to be really flaky and inconsistent and afraid and ashamed, Jesus does what he's about to do. So how would you think this would end, this sentence, okay? Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, how would you complete that sentence if you had never read the Bible before and if you hadn't just cheated and looked ahead? How would that sentence end? Jesus knew where he came from. He knew that all authority was given to his hand, and he knew he was going back to God. And so he, what does he do? It's in verse 4. And so he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So let's pause there. Um, the, 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 the intriguing note, again, of Judas comes in here. We're going to talk about it next week. But here's Jesus, okay, and he's with these disciples. And, okay, he has this full knowledge of all the power and authority. And what does he do? Because of that, he does, he, he steps into the scenario, and he puts on, takes off his outer garments, he puts on the, the clothes of a servant, and he begins washing the feet of his disciples, including the one who was about to betray him. It's incredible. It's incredible. He just sits down there and washes their feet. One thing we all know from experience is that feet are disgusting, okay? 
Feet are nasty. In fact, my first job was, uh, I was 16 years old, got a job at JCPenney. They signed me to the shoe department, which was amazing because you make commission. It was awesome. I was making so much money, I thought. <laughs> um, but uh, what they don't tell you in the training is that you have to, like, put shoes on people's feet. And, like, not, most people do not make you put the shoes on their feet, right? Who makes you put the shoes on your feet? You can guess. It's the old ladies. <laughs> the old ladies make you put the shoes on their feet, and there's just all kinds of things going on when you're changing an old lady's shoes out, okay? You learn what shoehorns are for. You learn what bunions are. Like, you just learn a lot as a 16-year-old working in a shoe department. Now... My feet are probably as disgusting or more so than any old ladies. We don't have any old ladies in our church, by the way. We have some young women that have aged a bit, and it's a beautiful thing with lovely feet, I'm sure. But feet are, feet are rough, okay? I just spent, like my family and I, we just spent a couple days camping. We were up at Sly Park camping, and we got in late last night, and I will tell you that nothing gets your feet nasty like camping does. It's just like... No showers. If there are showers, they're not showers that you want to be in. Like you're just in the dust, in the dirt all the time, and you come back and you're just filthy. And here's Jesus, okay, in a world that is a lot like camping, I think. Uh, you're walking around like paved roads don't exist, right? You're walking around the dust. Um, this whole like, uh, you know, first century world was sponsored by Birkenstock. Like it just, there's no closed toe shoes. Everyone's just walking around. It's dusty and it's dirty. And we know how this is. You, when, when you, like, get to a certain level, when you make a certain amount of money, like, when you're, when you're young and you don't have money, whatever, you just do everything yourself. When you get a certain level of money or whatever, you start, like, okay, who can I pay to do, like, the worst things for me? So I have freedom to do the other things. Feet washing was that thing, okay? Taking out the trash, I don't know, like, like all kinds of, feet washing was that thing. You're walking, you're, you're in a dusty world, you walk in, and who are you, you're going you're gonna to pay a servant that is going to be the one that comes to all your guests and washes them up so they're nice and clean so that you can share this nice meal and have this etiquette and this protocol and this wonderful time. Jesus, knowing this is his last time with his disciples, comes in, and what does he do? He is the one. He does not hire the servant. He doesn't ask anybody else. He, he has his followers, right? He could ask Peter or anyone here, like, could you wash all of our feet, please? And of course they would say, yes, it's Jesus asking. Jesus doesn't ask any of that. What he does, knowing that he came from the Father, knowing that he had all authority, knowing exactly what he was about to accomplish, knowing, man, the king of the universe that made feet and made dirt and made humans and all of this stuff, knowing all of this, Jesus himself says, this is my last night. I've got to accomplish so much in talking to his disciples. How will I use this time? Jesus started the whole thing off by putting the towel around his own waist, getting down on his own knees, putting their feet in the water and washing the feet of these disciples. And that's how he started the whole thing. And you can just imagine, if you can try to place yourself, picture yourself there in that room, just imagine how thrown off everybody would have been by that. Here's the master, here's the teacher. They were just seeing firsthand how amazing Jesus was and how worthy of worship and praise he was. And imagine the silence in the room as Jesus starts going around and, he, and just like, what is Jesus doing? Now, Peter speaks up in the way that I think most of us would and like calls out the awkwardness of it. So we kind of see some of that. But I, I want us just to see the fact that, okay, in, in this act of sacrifice is an example of Jesus' love. This is Jesus showing his love for us, right? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved him to the end. This is how we see Jesus' love. 
to read in Philippians 2 about um, God, like Jesus, not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. This is Jesus doing that in flesh. He is humbling himself. He's proving, he's showing I love you, and I'm here to serve you, and I'm not, um, I'm not trying to put myself above you. I am sitting here trying to serve and bless you. And so Jesus washes their feet as a way of saying, man, this is the love that I have for you. If you ever wonder that Jesus, whether or not Jesus loves you, if you ever wonder how could God be uh, uh, pleased with you, if you ever wonder if you could ever be accepted by God, I want us to picture this scene right here with these 12 disciples, 11 of whom were very flawed human beings, right? Flawed human beings who are going to run away from Jesus, who are going to let God down, let Jesus down in the most profound sense by running away from him at this moment of greatest need. These 11 people, Jesus knelt down and washed their feet saying, I love you. I don't care what you're about to do, I love you. And then think about Judas, who's also there, and Jesus saying, I don't care, I love you, I'm serving you. This act of beautiful service, there is nothing that we could do that would disappoint God enough to where he would no longer love us. There's nothing that we could do that would make him not want to serve us and grace us and be with us and care for us. It doesn't matter how dirty or rotten or, or cowardly or whatever we are, he's there and he's just in his picture, he's washing the feet of the people that are doing the things that we're so ashamed of doing ourselves, he's there as an act of love. And Peter, I mean, J- Jesus says to them, like, what I'm doing now, you won't understand. I think he understands how, man, this is going to be weird. Like, you're, you, I get how strange this is. This is going to be tough for you guys to figure this out. And Peter helps us because he steps in and says to Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, I think Peter would have been way more comfortable had Jesus said, Peter, could you wash all of our feet, please? I think Peter could have handled that. He couldn't handle the thought that Jesus would wash his feet. And Jesus says, it's tough to understand. Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus digs into that. And he says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, you don't have no share. So, so something about the act of Jesus washing his feet is a way of saying, look, this is what it means for you to belong to me, to be part of me, is that you're a person that I'm here washing your feet. And I'm tempted to take that as a symbol of like, we've got to be cleansed by Jesus. We've got to receive his healing and his washing. But actually, Peter clarifies that for us by just saying whatever's on his mind. And I love that. In verse 9, um, when Jesus says, look, if I, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me, I, I think like, Peter can see how serious that is. Okay, Peter, if I'm not here washing your feet, then you're not one of the people that's following me. You're one of the people that's rejecting me. It's so serious. And Peter's like, okay, wow, Lord, if it's that important for you to wash my feet, then, then like the hands and head and everything, let's just do it, Jesus. I want in on all that. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, look, Peter, the one that's bathed, like you, you've bathed, you're clean, you don't need me to wash you. Like it's, this isn't about washing or cleansing, cleansing. Um, in fact, a little bit later on in John 15, we're going to see um, Jesus talks about how his disciples, his followers have been cleansed through the word that he's spoken to him. And so this isn't about cleaning them. It's not about necessarily like um, their justification or the sanctification, like what, what happens when we're saved and he cleanses our souls, that kind of a thing. I think what's happening here is this is a simple act of service. And I think Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to be served by me, then, then, then what do you have to do with me? If, if you're here and you don't need me, Jesus, to serve you, humble disciple, if you don't need that, then, then you're not one of mine. Like, how do, can you belong to me if you don't need me to be your servant, to serve you? 
Because the reality is that we do need him. And I have, this, um, I have these couple pictures that I think are instructive. I have to skip ahead here. Um, this is like third century. So this is maybe a couple hundred years after this all happened. And here's the early disciples. They're kind of living in persecution and everything else. And they're drawing these pictures of Jesus. And both of these are Jesus as the good shepherd from John chapter 10, a few chapters prior to this. And so they're drawing Jesus. When they think about Jesus, they're thinking about Jesus as a humble shepherd, right? And a shepherd is there for the sheep. He's serving the sheep. He's laying down his life for the sheep. He's carrying the sheep on his shoulders. Um, they're not the best drawings I've ever seen, but they show. <laughs> you were all thinking it. I'm just saying it. Uh, <clears throat> they show this humble view of Christ as someone who serves us, right? But then you move further on, and Christianity becomes the dominant religion, and it begins to take over the world. And then you have, this is in Hagia Sophia, you see the 11th century depiction. Now Jesus is the emperor. He's sitting there with the emperor and the empress, and he is there, and he's this kingly royal figure. And that's not bad. So this is a good depiction. Again, like artistic quality, I don't really know, but it's way better than I could do, and it fits the period, right? But it's true. Jesus is king. He's Lord. He's on a throne, right? He's, he's not just with the emperors, but he's above them. Like, all of that is true. But I, I, I wonder, like, which of the two pictures is the right one? Which one's the better one? And of course, the answer is they're both great, right? But I have an easier time sometimes with this one, where it's Jesus who is on a throne, and I'm here, like, on my knees worshiping him, right? Because I see how, like, broken I am. I see how incompetent I am. I see how much, I'm, so I'm like, God, like, I'm worshiping you. You're amazing. You're so much better than I am. You are the ruler. And so it's easy to worship and connect to Jesus on that level for me. But then when you picture Jesus as the humble servant, the shepherd. When you picture Jesus, I think especially in this scene that we're looking at here, washing the feet of his disciples, how hard would it be to allow Jesus to wash your feet, right? When we have the kingly picture of Jesus in our head, how hard is it to let him get on his knees and wash our feet? But I think the beauty and the reminder and the important truth in this is if we are not, if we're so good that we don't need to be served by Jesus, then what are we doing? What is Christianity if we don't need to be served by Jesus? But if we can get to a spot where we recognize, okay, Jesus, you are high, you're exalted, you're above me, you're worthy of all my praise, and also, I desperately need you to wash my feet. I desperately need you to serve me because I cannot do it for myself. I am not good enough. I'm not measuring up. And so if you are not serving me, Jesus, if you're not humbling yourself to condescend to help me in the most humble way possible, if you're not doing that, then I have no shot. I have no chance. I have no hope. And so this is the core of it all. Jesus starts it not just by giving them a speech, not just by sending them out, not just by cheering them up, but he starts the whole thing with this reminder that at, our, at the core, he is here because he loves and wants to serve us even when we need a drink of water. <clears throat> Sorry, I was just trying to tie that in because I forgot to bring this up with me. That gluten-free kind of sticks to the throat, you know what I'm saying? <coughs> All right, I'm sorry, you guys. I, I promise way fewer communion jokes in the future. I'm sorry. So I think, I think the key is, man, when Peter, when Peter objects and he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. Like, I, I can't have that. When he does that, I think the reminder for us is, no, we, he has to wash our feet. And have we had that encounter and that experience of Jesus 
where we recognize that we're not worthy, but we also see him in his humility, in his love, serving us and blessing us. If we haven't had that encounter, we have to, because that's who he is. It's just who he is. He is the one that doesn't wait to be asked, but he gets in there and he gets on his knees and he serves us. We need that. Every day, every time, we need that constantly. Jesus serving us. It's important, and he is the one, remember, that portrayed things in this way. He's the one that did this. He's the one that started the meal with this to set the tone, that he loves his people, that he's there to be with them, that he's there to serve them, and it's beautiful. I sat down this morning, and I asked the question before the Lord, like, Lord, when, when have you washed my feet last? And I was a little bit convicted at first because I'm thinking, man, it's, it's, you know, when have I been refreshed by Jesus lately? When is he? And, and on, Jesus just brought so many things right to my mind of, look, this was me washing your feet. I, you know, th- constantly you're inadequate. You're not enough. And constantly I'm here serving you, blessing you. <coughs> I'm choked up, but it's more than that. You guys stay away from the gluten-free. We got to figure this out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just going to leave the cap off here. So, we need this. It is not about what we can do for Jesus, right? I think we get in the mode of Christianity is about I'm serving him, I'm worshiping him. What can I do for Jesus? It is not about that, right? He becomes our partner. He calls us into something amazing. And we do get out there and we serve and we do things with him. But it is not what we can accomplish for him. And it constantly is about allowing him to serve us. We need that. Now, here's where it gets even crazier. So Jesus does this, and we see the heart of Jesus in washing his disciples' feet, and then he chooses to go on and give us an insight into the core of Christianity, the core of what it means to be his followers. So verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? And there's a great question, right? Do you understand what I've done to you? So we're, we're going to be tempted to, to see Jesus do this. We're going to be tempted to take it as a symbol. We're going to be tempted to like make it part of our church services where every now and then we wash each other's feet or something because that's what Jesus did. But he's asking us, stop. Do you understand what I have just done? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus wants to leave us with no doubt whatsoever. Why did he do this? He says, I did it to leave you an example. You call me teacher and Lord, okay? So Lord, master, you're the one that sets the direction. You're the one that tells me what to do. So I am your Lord. I'm your teacher. I'm explaining what's happening. So you call me teacher and Lord, he's saying, and that's exactly right. That's who I am. So now think about this. If I, who am your master and your Lord, the one who's setting the tone and giving the instructions, if I am the one, if, if me, if I've done this and I've gotten on my knees and I've washed your feet, what do you think you should be doing for each other? And of course, the reminder is you should be washing the feet of the people around you too. This is who Jesus is. And because of that, if we're followers of him, this is then who we are. See, I I love what this reveals about Jesus. Jesus was was revealing God to us, right? We have all these pictures in our heads of of what God is like. You read the Old Testament and you begin to think, okay, I mean, God is powerful, certainly. Um, God is like, providential, like he's orchestrating things on a big scale. Yes, he's that. 
He's worthy of praise. He's that. You begin to feel at times, reading the Old Testament especially, God is angry. God is a judge. All those things are true in context of this big picture thing. But the reminder we have to have is what is God like? Jesus was showing us ultimately what God is like. And when Jesus gets on his knees and washes the feet of sinners, this is revealing what God is like. Who is God really? Who is God truly? He is, amongst other things, the one that gets on his knees and serves people who are totally unworthy of it. And that's who God is. So when we think, when we stand before God and we think, Do, could you really love me? Could you really forgive me? Could you really use me? We have to remember and picture this is the God that we're asking those questions to. This is the God that when he came to earth, got on his knees and served and washed feet. Yes, he can love us. Yes, it doesn't matter um, who we are, what we've done. Yes, he is there and he accepts us and loves us and it's beautiful and it's vital. And because that's who God is, that also then becomes who we are. So who are we as a people? Are we the kind of people that would get down on our knees that would wash the feet of the people around us? Are we the kind of people that would do the actual work of actual servants for the people that are around us? I think it's a really important question for us to ask. I think sometimes we, we miss the message of Jesus. I think sometimes we get into the mode of Christianity makes my life better. Or I think a lot of times we, we read the New Testament and we try to pick out leadership principles and um, principles to order your life by. And we're trying to do something strategic and big and important and powerful. Um, Bruxy Cavey says, look, this is the problem with Christians having power. He says, Jesus doesn't teach his followers how to use their power to govern well. He teaches them how to lay down their power to serve well. And I think there's some nuance with that, but I also think that's really profoundly true, right? Reading the New Testament to gain leadership principles, I think it's there, but the, the New Testament does not talk about the word leadership very often. Very, very rarely do you see leadership or you're going to be so much, again and again and again, it is about service. It's about laying yourself down. It's about lowering yourself. And if that's what we mean when we talk about leadership, then I think that's exactly what Jesus had in mind. But, but it is about service and lowering ourselves. So it is, in the kingdom of God, power is not about being pampered. It's not about being praised. Power is all about laying that down for the sake of mission and service to other people. It's so important for us. Think about the, the rituals and the symbols of this religion, of Christianity. We just did communion together, right? Here's one of the key symbols of Christianity. And what is it about? It's about our leader who laid down his life, shed his blood, broke his body for the sake of others, right? That is a service-oriented symbol if I've ever seen one. We're talking now about foot washing, which has been a powerful symbol of Christianity um, throughout the ages, of Jesus, the, our leader, humbling himself, getting on his knees and serving. That is a key symbol that we have. We have the symbol of baptism, where it's all about you come as yourself and we bury you in the water like Jesus was buried and you're dead to yourself, but now you're alive anew in Christ. That's a symbol of laying ourselves down once again. The cross is a powerful symbol in Christianity, which is all about God laying himself down for us. It's everywhere. All of this about laying ourselves down, about serving, about being humble in pursuing um, other people in service is baked into the whole thing at every single level. We miss it. We miss it. We make it about success. We make it about happiness. We make it about um, all sorts of other things. But man, it's about a God who loves. 
and who loves so deeply that he sacrifices himself and that literally turns to his disciples at these moments of greatest sacrifice and says, look, I've done it for you. I, I literally want you to do this for the people around you. And we're really hard of hearing. And so it's hard for us to get it. It's hard for us to turn and say, okay, I think, I think actually Jesus does want me to serve other people, even when it seems degrading, even when it seems below my pay grade, any, even though it seems like this isn't going to be profitable. This is what he's calling us to do. Now, what does it mean? Like, what does it mean for us to wash each other's feet? I know that, like, um, we could do that literally. I don't think it means quite the same thing in this culture as it did in that culture, right? Very few of us are wearing Birkenstocks, even though they're making a resurgence. Like, it's a different kind of a thing. But I think that, I think that the idea of walking around and watching with our eyes open for these opportunities to serve, to refresh, to bless, to take the role, like, who's, who's doing the most service-oriented job in a given space? Like, I think Jesus would be the one that would claim that and say, okay, hang on, hang on. Yeah, I want to be the one that's taking off the trash. I want to be the one that's, you know, um, I don't know what, giving my money, giving myself, giving my time. Like, if it's a position that, that, like, looks, is looked down upon, all the more reason that I think Jesus would be there doing that thing. And I think following him means we jump into that. And, and honestly, like, I know, like, I can't do everything, okay? So it's, there's a, there's a reality to where, like, you know, may, if we all tried to, like, rush in and clean the bathrooms um, on our way out of here, you know, or take out the trash, like, we can't all do everything. We don't all have time to do everything. I totally get all of that stuff. But I think even though we can't all do everything, I think that there needs to be nothing that is beneath any of us, if that makes sense. There's no role that's too low, that's too gross, that's too, uh, sh like, shameful for us in the name of Christ, so, so it's different than saying, I'm going to do every little thing, but it's also saying, look, if there's, if there's something you'd be uh, um, angry to be asked to do, like, that's the thing, man. That's the thing that Jesus would do then. If you find your pride pricked at like, seriously, you're going to ask me to do that? That's the thing that I think Jesus is going to call you to do. It's just looking at the people around us. It's looking at, at ourselves, our family here, and just saying like, man, there are, there are amazing people in this room, you know? And just looking around and just seeing, how can I bless these people? How can I love them? How can I serve them? Like, how can I go even further than I've ever thought I could go to just lighten somebody's load and be a refreshment and a blessing to them? And then looking at the people that we work with, look, looking at the people that we live around, just saying, how, like, Lord, give me an opportunity to, to wash someone's feet today. What does it look like? Lord, just nudge me, lead me, give me an opportunity to serve. I don't need credit. I, I, I don't need a conversion at the end of it. I just want to be a blessing and a servant because I believe that's who Jesus ultimately is. I think praying for those things. I mean, we can ask ourselves the questions like, what are our, what are our skills for? You know, there's things that all of us are really good at. What are those for? I ask Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, they're for the sake of the body, to serve the people that are around you. That's why God gives us these gifts so we can serve the people around us. We can ask the question, what is my money for? Like, God's given me these material blessings. Why? What is that for? It's for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's for the sake of blessing the people around us. That's such a key biblical thing. What is the energy and strength that I have for? How will I spend it? You can spend it for yourself. You can build your empire. You can climb the ladder, and you can get to the end of your life and realize that ladder didn't mean anything at all. You wasted so much strength and energy. I, I talk to a lot of older saints that are just 
the energy is drying up and they're, and they're, they're getting more exhausted more quickly. And, and, and that idea of my strength and my energy is precious. What are you going to spend it for? Jesus would look and say, spend it on these people around you. They're beautiful. They're so worth serving. And Jesus is the one that doesn't just look at the people who are in the church building, right? He looks around and he says, who's missing? Who's not here? And he would call us to bless and serve those people too. What's our humor, our wisdom, our winsomeness for? Is it about gaining friends and popularity, or is it about helping other people feel blessed and, and welcomed and alive and part of a thing? And what are, our, what are our tables for? Whenever we take communion, I think of what are our literal tables for? Is it so that I can enjoy the meals with my family? Is it so I can eat quickly before I watch a show or run off to whatever? Like, our tables are for the blessing of the people around us. We can share those. We can open them. We can have people be um, a part of our family in a really deep sense. So I just want to end by returning here to verse 3. This one is so beautiful to me because now after you look at all the things that Jesus did with his disciples and you realize this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God, man, what did he do? He lowered himself. He served people that were as weird as you and I, as unworthy as you and I, and he lowered himself and that was just who he was. And again, if we think, like, he, man, he came from the Father. He's going back to the Father. All authority. What was all of his power, all of that about what is God really ultimately like? Picture Jesus on his knees serving. That's the image that I believe God wants us to have. When we think of, God, who are you really? This is the image that he gives us. As he gathers his disciples, he's going to say some really important things to his disciples in the next chapters. And we're gonna, John devotes five whole chapters out of 21 chapters to just this conversation that they have. But this is how he frames it. They're there to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what does Jesus do first? He gets on his knees and he serves. Man, that is image. And that, man, if we, if we can just lean into that, if we can embrace that, and if we can begin offering prayers of offering ourselves to God, man, that is a soil. If Creekside could live in that soil of humility and service, that is a soil that I think God would grow some amazing things through. As we look ahead, then fall, fall is going to be this new opportunity. You guys all, like, we're opened up in a way that we haven't been in a long time, and you guys are just going to get all the traveling you can out of your system over the next few months. I totally get it. I'm going to do the same thing, okay? But when we're all, have it all out of our system, and we're all, have drinking our Mai Tais, and we've been out in the sun, and we're all sunburned and whatever, non-alcoholic, of course, and we come back at the end of the summer, and we're saying, okay, all right, regular life, Church, I'm investing. My neighborhood, I'm investing. Like, what are we going to do then? Man, this is the soil I want that answer to have grown with. Thank you so much. You could see that I was out. <laughs> Modern day foot washing right there. Thanks, Heidi. <laughs> um, that's, this, is, this is what I want to like live in our hearts this summer, is this kind of thing, this story of Jesus. We haven't uh, explain the depths of it, right? But it's there. It's suggestive, right? It's, it's, and I want that picture to just be something that we meditate on, that we think about. Like, I would love for us to just, you know, whenever your feet get dirty, just like picture Jesus washing your feet. And let's just contemplate that. Let's think about it and let's let it shape us. So um, we're going to sing some more. Um, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to have Chelsea come and lead us in a little reflection here. But would you just pray for me as we start this? Lord, thank you so much that we get to be your people. Thank you so much that you love us, that you care for us. Lord, I, 
it's so easy for me to get in the mindset of wanting to serve you, wanting to worship you, wanting to lift you up. And I, I do want all of that, Lord, but I also am just so thankful that you've reminded me to take a step back, to kind of get over myself a little bit and just see myself as a person whose feet need to be washed and to see you as the one that comes rushing to do it. I pray that we would be served by you, Lord, that we'd be humble enough to receive from you what we so desperately need from you. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to serve, to wash feet, to be a blessing in all sorts of different ways. And I pray that this summer, Lord, like no other, that this would be a summer that we all just lean into and lean into the thought of, Lord, who are you? What are you calling us into? What, are you, what opportunities are you providing for us? I pray that we'd be refreshed by you. I pray that we'd be inspired by you. I pray that we'd be with you in every step of the way. Let me ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.